springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fun hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers! Welcome to Fair Game, the podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen coming to you on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. I'm Shauna Cook. And I'm Emily Glenn. Before we get into this episode, just a quick reminder of where you can find us. Check out headstuff.org for a full archive of episode and Fair Game is also available to subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher and Spotify. If you enjoy the podcast, then do us a favour and rate and review it on your app of choice. Sharing episode links on Twitter, Facebook and Insta also helps us spread the word. So send it to your friends, family and clubmates who you think might enjoy it and follow us on Twitter at Fair Game Cast to stay up to speed on everything happening in women's sport on and off the field. So it's just over three years since Fair Game first hit the airwaves and today we have a very special episode planned. We started this podcast because we were really tired of complaining about how hard it was to be a fan of female athletes and women's sports in Ireland and we thought we could do something about it, do something positive rather than just giving out about it. A lot has changed in the three years since our first episode in 2016, like some serious sponsorship of women's teams, the Irish women's sporting events, setting attendance records and hosting the highest attended women's sporting events in 2017, not to mention some major moves by the media to showcase the wonderful work of women. There's been a lot done, but there's more to do. So today we want to know what is the state of play in women's sport? Joining us to set the scene are two game changers, the brains and brawn behind the 2020 campaign. They've set us all the target of changing Ireland's cultural perception of women's sport by 2020 and they're doing this by making sure it is a 20% increase in media coverage of women in sport, in women's participation at all levels and a 20% increase in the attendance of women's sport events. Sarah Colgan from the branding agency Along Came a Spider and Mary O'Connor from the Federation of Irish Sport. You're both very welcome to the Fair Game podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So Sarah, Mary, talk us through your first meeting. Um... I think, um, just to be fair, obviously the um, 20 by 20, the concept originated with Sarah and uh, her colleague Heather Thornton and uh, they approached us. And I think the very first meeting was a lot of enthusiasm, excitement, you know, um, obviously from my point of view, I was really excited and enthused by um, that this concept uh, came on board and we did an awful lot of scribbling and writing and talking at the very first meeting. Um, it seems like a long time ago now, but um, I think to F- Sarah and Heather, they were on the money from the get-go and I was bought and sold after five minutes in that meeting. Um, and I'm really delighted that it has come to where it is. Absolutely. Um, it's it's a real labour of love. Um, I know for, for Heather and I, but also for Mary, and we've worked so closely um, from the start with this. And uh, it's a passion project. And when you're really passionate and believe in something, it doesn't feel like work. 
Um, but I have to tell you that in the very early stages when Heather and I and, and the, the rest of the Along Came a Spider team were talking about this, fair game was actually one of the first things that was brought up and in our development meetings and, and talked about a lot. So I, I never actually said that to you guys, but uh, fair game was a big part of the early days of 2420. Oh, that's gorgeous. Oh. <laughs> going go. that compliment. <laughs> One of the things we discussed an awful lot when we started uh, Fair Game was the kind of the never ending cycle of excuses that you'd hear about why you couldn't pr- progress women in sport. Um, so like you couldn't increase attendance. If you if you didn't increase attendance, you wouldn't attract media. Um, and if you don't attract media, then sponsors don't want to know. And if you don't have sponsors then the quality of the game suffers and no one wants to attend a bad game. But there was never any break in the cycle. There was never you could never really pinpoint any one thing. And we pinpointed media um, as something that we thought we could make a positive change to um, and the medium of podcast because it was something that we could do that was time intensive didn't require any funding or any support um but the thing that I really love about the 2020 campaign is that it's more of a cultural movement it's not one thing at a time it's everything all together um were you nervous about taking that approach or like the size of the undertaking or did you just think yeah come on let's get stuck in I think, to be honest, it was the only approach. So you do have this vicious cycle. And, you know, if there was a fourth pillar, we have the pillar in there of media coverage of women in sport, attendance at women's events and participation at all levels. But the fourth one would have obviously been the funding and the sponsorship angle. But, you know, while while there are the three targets and the three measurements, and that's why it's 20, 20 by 20, that's why the, it has its name. It has to be a cultural shift if we're actually going to get anywhere close to parity and if we're really going to move the dial. So, you know, they're the three pillars that we're calling out. But overall, the driving kind of ambition of 20 by 20 is to create a a, a positive change to see uh, female sport as um, strong and skilled and successful Mm. Um, and and by increasing our exposure to it, not just in terms of media exposure, um, but in terms of seeing your neighbour playing or your mother coaching or or whatever that is, um, or seeing, you know, the family sit down to watch a women's game as well as they would watch a men's game. That's how we're really going to get the change across the board. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would concur with that. I think from from my point of view, obviously I'd been a a past player, you know, I was actually getting to the point of being actually annoyed at the whinging in the morning that was going on from the women's side. And I, I had said that to Sarah that I said, you know, I want to say, look, this is what we're going to do when it doesn't make a difference. This is what the campaign is about. But to add to what Sarah is doing, saying as well, I think from our point of view, this is very much a social movement campaign that we want through this campaign to create visibility and actually generate and stimulate conversations. We expect diff- difficult conversations to happen. We expect to be challenged on this. You know, the, the 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 conversations, some of them are outdated now. There's comparison between men's and women's sport. What we're saying with the 20 by 20 campaign is we believe that women and in sport and physical activity in Ireland should be championed and valued. And by doing that, we're creating a new norm. And that's what we're trying to do is create a new norm. Um, and it's, it's for some people, it's, it's groundbreaking. But for us, I think it's just something we really believe in. And that I think that's why it has caught the imagination of so many people. Because although a lot of our role models and ambassadors are obviously elite sportswomen, they all started somewhere. They started as that five and six and seven year old and they were the lucky ones. But we what we want to try and do is to make a pathway for young girls to be inspired to participate in sport and physical activity at whatever level is appropriate to them as long as they're enjoying it and having fun. Like I was making this comment to somebody the other day, sport in Ireland, there's so much opportunity now. You can go, say, water-based, 
land, indoor, outdoor, team, individual, contact, non-contact. For when I was growing up, it was Gaelic games and it was nothing or nothing, you know. So now the opportunity is there for girls and we want them to know that there is that opportunity, that there's this widespread of sports that they can get involved in at every level, not just as a player, but maybe as a coach, a referee, an umpire, a judge or whatever. That's the really important piece in this campaign is actually about educating people as well as to what's out there. How did the targets of 20% increase come about? Uh, I suppose it was important to have a a target um, in order to... uh, have people being a- be able to rally round and know that there's a benchmark and there's something that needs to be hit. Um, mm. Otherwise, it's just more talk. And, and okay. uh, so the, the 20%, you know, we've had different reactions to the 20% because um, some people think, you know, it's quite ambitious. Uh, personally, like we don't think that's ambitious at all. A 20% increase in what is already a very low base really should be achievable and it's you know it's it's less about it, the exact hitting of that I mean really we're hoping that we exceed those targets but it's more about what that brings about uh, for, for wider society and in those three areas and to be athletic nowadays is really cool like everyone's going to brunch before and yoga before sorry everyone's going to yoga before brunch um, I'm going to do that question again if that's okay I'll just, I'll just go to brunch. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do I know. <laughs> to be athletic is really cool nowadays. So, you know, strong is the new skinny. You hear all those mantras. Are, are you kind of capitalising on this trend? God, I, or do you see it as two different I don't things? Think, I see, I see it as yeah. very different. Absolutely. Yeah, very different. And, I, you know, I think in reference to the point that Mary just made, I, I notice it with my seven-year-old um, versus my sons that, you know, Team sport, for example, I think with her versus with boys, there is a, a, and this is obviously not not a, a true for everybody, but in in a kind of more general sense, girls need uh, often more support when it comes to an encouragement when it comes to go, going into sport. She was much more daunted, let's say, than her brother was in terms of going into a big group, in terms of even making a tackle. She didn't want to tackle. Every time she did a tackle, she'd come over, have a little cry at the sideline and then go back out and, and do it. So I think having um, a, a different attitude um, in ter- an approach to parenting um, when it came to a, a daughter versus a son is really important. But also, as Mary says, to be aware Team sport might not be for every girl, but there are so Mm. many other sports if it's uh, roller derby or if it's frisbee or if it's, you know, mountain trails or, you know, there's a million other things that I think that's a a really important message of find your sport. But it's the key thing is, uh, you know, being able to give that gift of what sport brings to girls as well as boys. Yeah, I think to add to that as well, I think people need to remember that formalised women's sport in Ireland is in its infancy. So you think about this, ladies Gaelic football is the biggest uh, team sport uh, in Ireland at the moment. It wasn't around 50 years ago. So just think about that. So we are very much in the um, infancy stage of actually formalised sport for women. So it's actually about encouraging that now. And I think we must acknowledge the support of Sport Ireland that in since 2004 that they have been putting money into women in sport programmes for national governing bodies and local sports partnerships to give them an opportunity to participate in sport. So the support for women in sport has been there for a long time. I suppose what this campaign is actually trying to do is to give it visibility for people now to actually create that awareness that all this opportunity exists. And along with every with every challenge, there is that opportunity as well. Um, and I think that's what's excited both Sarah and I is that, you know, we are getting challenged. We are having discussions. 
a lot of the NGBs and local partnerships. Um, we surveyed them last year from a Federation of Irish Sport point of view. We surveyed our members and loads of different things last year. And this was before 20 by 20 came about. And we actually asked our NGBs how many of them had plans for women in sport in their strategic plan uh, for the coming years. And 73% of them said they had plans for women in sport. So it just shows that what the 20 by 20 campaign was, was doing was actually really honing in on what was what was needed by the NGBs and the LSPs. So uh, that's why I think it's been a success from that point of view as well. Excellent. So just moving a bit towards media coverage, Casey Stoney discussed how media coverage follows success and we've seen this time and time again when it comes to women in sport. The hockey team is covered unexpectedly when they reach the World Cup qualifiers and suddenly, you know, their front page of every paper or one of the runners, you know, receives a medal in the Euros or at the Worlds and they're given a hero's welcome and then all of a sudden they're just ignored for the rest of the year. How do we see this shift around and show that women's sport is worthy of the coverage even when they're not in medal contention? Yeah, I think that's a really uh, important one. Um, I think the yes it follows success and I think obviously the hockey was a, a as an a, amazing example of how we can unite around women's sport in the same way that we traditionally have only ever united around men's sport mm-hmm. and I think the signal that that gives to younger generations is is crucial um but I think for a lot of media it, you know uh, they there is a certainly from from everybody we've spoken to and with our um, media partners on 20 by 20 there is a genuine will um, and and want to for the ones that maybe weren't known for for doing it beforehand to change and and mm-hmm. to do it to do it better um, and and to bring that in and I think you know for a lot it it became a habit and it became an ease where there would be a certain number um, of of male um, players or ex players that you'd call on because you'd know how they'd interact with the presenter you'd know how they'd be on the show you'd know more or less what their take on a on a particular theme or topic would be and certainly we found in terms of the feedback coming up back into us is it takes a few t- times of the fe- a new female uh, star to come in and and they get familiar with okay this is how she is and this is what she's good on and whatever mm-hmm. so it's it's, you know, that the the argument, I think, that in years in the in the past years have come across, you know, when it, it's come across the editorial desk and it's like, oh, well, our readers as interested or whatever. You have to invest in it, you know, at the beginning in order for it to then pay off. And I think that's something that is being recognised now in a way that it wasn't before. And, you know, for even for, for readers, you know, you have to tell the story of that team or that athlete or allow people to get used to, OK, this is the personality and let that grow. And then it's not a chore. It's a win-win for everybody, not just for, for women's sport, but for the, the publishers themselves as well. So... Yeah, and I think it's true to say that in the past and, you know, women in sport, be they team or individual, have to nearly overachieve or excel to really get that, that consistent coverage um, or, you know, that they have this human element side to them that, you know, people might find interest because it's a human element piece. Um, I also think that we need to be very conscious of the fact that a lot of sport, all sports in Ireland are seasonal. So at one point in the season, hockey might be at its highest peak and then at other seasons, it's their off season. But it's actually about when they're, when a sport is in its consistent season, is that it, the media outlets are getting a constant feed of um, results, information. Because a lot of times, what I have found from my own experiences is that some sports are brilliant at saying, well, this game is on or this event is on. But then not following up, well, this is the result of it or this is the, the scoreline and so on. I think 
the NGBs are, are getting an awful lot better at that. And I think we need to realise as well, some of the NGBs don't have de- designated staff to around that. They might they might be volunteer-led organisations or they might have staff that, that aren't, say, aligned to that side of the house. So things are evolving all the time. And I think it's not because people aren't trying. I think from the media point of view and from the really fantastic media partners this campaign has, there's a vehicle for change there. And that's what the 20 by 20 is trying to do is to be a vehicle for change. So we have said to our NGBs that are members of the Federation of Irish Sport, we've said to them to utilise our media partners and to come to them with stories and, and to tell the story about your athletes or about your team or about your events. And they've taken that on board now. So we have to see what the outcome of that will be. And it's not just the quantity of coverage it's also the quality right so I mean Fiona Coughlin tells the story about how after the Ireland women's shambolic performance against England in the World Cup final they beat the Black Ferns and they were everywhere and then they went into the final against England and they were just terrible and they knew that themselves and the media response the media tone was Asher aren't they great girls and she she kind of made this point to us and has made it elsewhere that it was actually kind of patronising it was a disservice to the team absolutely to not just say lads you played like shite Mm. you know and because that's the criticism that would have been levelled at the men's team for the same performance and they knew it themselves so how do you how do you make that okay to criticise like how do you make it safe like you're not saying that women's sport is terrible you're saying that ex-female athlete didn't live up to her potential like how do you change the tone yeah I think that's important and I was at an event last year um where Rena Buckley got an award, I think it was the Irish Times Women in Sport, and she was actually asked that question uh, by Des Cahill, and she actually said, you know, that we need more criticism. You know, in terms of our articles and reporting on female sport, we need it to be more, you know, on the point, on the money, but that'll come over consistency. And I think if you're judge, if, if say, for instance, a female sporting event is just one event in the year is covered, and they talk derogatory about the, the event, then that's not, that's not fair, that's not equal. But if they're covering the sport over six, seven or eight months, and they're actually giving a balanced overview of it. And then obviously they're criticizing. I think criticism, I think number one, people will take it more seriously. And number two, that patronizing tone will erode out of it. But I think it's, that's where it comes back to that consistent coverage of female sports at a high level. Um, I think women who are participating in a high level need to be ready for that. Um, because I came from an era where you know, you got a few lines in the paper and if you're back playing camogie, the back got no coverage always with the forwards because they did all the scoring. But if you were criticising that, you know, you ha- the, the female athlete needs to be ready for that because it's being covered and being in the media spotlight isn't all positive. And I think men have have endured that and they get their brunt for an awful lot of the time, I think, with social media as well. So there needs to be a balance in the coverage, yes, but also female athletes need to be aware that if they're putting themselves out there as elite athletes and they happen to have a bad performance, that they have to expect that, OK, they will be criticised but it's not about them as an individual, it's about their sporting performance. I think that's where the, the women's brain, the men's brain is a bit different and might be slightly unfair to women. Now, but I, I think that just needs to be an awareness there among female athletes and that goes back to the, the performance setup that they're in, that the people around them make them aware that, that of that and so they don't feel that it's a kind of a, it's an impact on them psychologically as, as, as people, not athletes. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what you guys feel. I mean, uh, I think that, um, I don't know, one, one, one publisher said to me recently that as a, uh, well, as a male journalist, he actually found it hard to crit- criticise 
um, female athletes and teams, which I was mind blown by, to be honest. But, you know, that that, that and he saw a big need for more female sporting journalists. Um, I disagree with that. I, I think anyway, I think more female uh, sporting journalists is, is, is a great idea, um, but not for that reason. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I think for the creative minds in in as a writer or as a as a, as a media entity, approaching it exactly in the same way as men's sport um, is probably not, I think initially you need to bring people along and b- build a picture and get a bit of a backstory and then you can start continuing in the same vein but I think it needs, I think just doing a, 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 a piece of coverage, an article, a coverage article on, or a match report on something and just saying oh well look it didn't get the same pick up as, as the, the men's equivalent isn't fair mm. um, so I think that that as a, as a starting point um, would be what, what I would think is, is, is worth considering. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Mary, in a sense that when I was at Arsenal, I was very fortunate to be coached by Emma Hayes. And the one thing that I found really interesting and I'd never been exposed to before was after games, Emma would, would sit all the players in the room and you would be partnered up and you would have to give pos- a piece of positive feedback and then one piece of negative feedback to the person you were partnered with. And it got you into that kind of, you know, routine of not only giving constructive criticism, but also receiving it. Um, things that maybe, you know, I had never been used to before coming from Ireland where I felt like soccer was a bit more, you know, family focused. We were friends, um, you know, and I do think it's very important for sport to grow that you're open to that criticism and, you know, you're seeking it out and you're comfortable in it just as much as the, the encouragement. Absolutely, because I think if you look at female sport in Ireland as well, women tend to reach their peak in terms of being actually exposed to playing at a high level very young. So mm-hmm. if you look at that girl who's playing international rugby at the moment, she's still a teenager and she's exposed to an adult setup and there's other sports that you can you could talk about that they're being exposed to an adult setup. So if they're an adult team, the expectation could be that they would be criticized as an adult, but it's about actually mining those individuals because although they're playing in an adult setup, they're not adults. So that's a really important piece and that's a, that's an an education piece and you know, if we're getting this profile of 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 girls and women in sport, um, we need to ensure that the, it's balanced. But also the fact that the people that they're being spoken about, either in a good way or a negative way, at, at different times, that there's a support mechanism around them that they that they understand the need for it, mm-hmm. um, and that they're supported in what they're trying to do as well. Brilliant. One of the figures from the recent Nielsen study that you guys released, um, which in particular boggled our minds was the fact that only 4% of online sports coverage is dedicated to women's sports. Now, given that new media is often free to produce, like, for example, this podcast, um, and much more available like Twitter or Instagram, um, and how often it is either controlled directly by the athletes themselves, so they control and tell their own stories and control their own narratives, or an awful lot of the time it's produced by women, or more likely to be produced by women. So, why is that? Why is that figure so low? I can mm. I can understand why the traditional media, like you know, some old hack in some newspaper somewhere, saying that no, no one wants to read about women football, or you know, but yeah. but why is that figure so low? Like online? Well, I think from as a, just a, for Sarah, from a past female athlete point of view, right? And I think the majority of females are are in this, and this is something that I'm trying to advocate against is we're very humble and we're kind of, yeah, thanks very much. And oh, did I play well or thanks sound? I think the female athlete needs to tell her story and needs to be a bit more assertive and not worry about what other people think about them. 
because if they're exceeding at the high level, if they're winning, say, world championships or world champs or Europeans and they're competing, and they're, if they're in the whole Ireland of Ireland representing Ireland as an elite athlete, then by God they have a talent and they only know themselves how hard they work for it. But they don't want to tell the story because I suppose some of them just want to focus on their careers and achieving what they achieve. But the, there is an, it is incumbent, I think, on some of them now who are at a level that have more five or six years behind them and are an established athlete to start telling their story because that's what instills and confidence and inspires the next generation. And as you said, you know, social media, it's all over the place. Nearly everybody has a phone now from 14 up. So those girls be able to see the likes of a high level athlete who's established actually, you know, saying this is my story. This is what I did. And when I was eight, I had this challenge or when I was 10, people will, will um, how will I say, empathise with that and understand that and they don't understand how much of an impact positively that'll have on young girls but I, in saying that I do understand why some athletes don't do that because they're totally focused on their careers but I hope that there will come a time when there's a few of those established athletes are very confident in themselves um, like I mean the impact of Kelly Harrington winning the boxing has been immense like she's such a fantastic personality the way she actually speaks about her sport speaks about that sense of identity of where she comes from that's phenomenal like I mean that's what we need and we need more people like Kelly to actually say well you know I work hard I'm a boxer this is what I do and I enjoy it and I think that's really important to tell that story and how real she is you know because with so many of them you know the elite uh, male athletes, they're so practiced and rehearsed in terms of that media, media training. training. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what you're going to get. Whereas Kelly is a real breath of fresh air and she is that that role model. And, and you, 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 you know, you feel like you, you know her, you know. And yeah, you also, very she makes it so accessible. Like we interviewed Kelly in here and by the end of the episode, I was like, lads, that's it, I'm going. Like someone <laughs> strap up my hands, I'm ready for it. Like I, she just, she just radiates this like passion for her sport. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Absolutely. But look, you know, to come back to your question, as as depressing as the, the 3% for print and 4% for online is, you know, it's not it's not a great starting point, but it's important that I mean, that that was taken before um, we kicked off because we wanted to have a benchmark mm. um, from which to measure then at the end of the initiative. Um, but, you know, more positively is that 50, 57% of people want to see um equal visibility between the male and, and female role models. Um, so, you know, and uh, then there was another set, 63% um, want to see um, female sports uh, people, I suppose, uh, as heroes in the same way as, as ma- male sports people. So, you know, that's, I think that is, I don't know if those stats would have even been there five years ago. I think that's something that's rapidly changing uh, year on year. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I've said this before, like the 20 by 20 campaign is actually about stimulating change, stimulating conversation. But it's important that people realise that change is the responsibility of us all. It's mm. not just like a women for women, it's all of us, you know, trying to create that change and having the the difficult, as I said already, the difficult conversation. But I really think that people need to understand that don't be looking around for anybody to change the landscape. You can, whatever you do in a small way can have an impact. And I think that's really important. Yeah, Anna Cassell said we need to encourage more girls into sports journalism. We've seen the likes of Alex Scott in Match of the Day, Fiona Coughlin, the Six Nations, Breed Stack recently covered the Dublin-Kerry game and they all done excellently well and of course they would because they're elite athletes, you know, performing at the top level so why wouldn't they? Is this just the start of seeing women in those roles? 
Absolutely. I really think so. Yeah. I'd be amazed if it went backwards. I think yeah. it's it's becoming I mean and there there is, you know, all of those women that you mentioned, Joanne Cantwell as well, they're in there mm. because they are rightly in those positions. And, um, mm. you know, I think I actually was at an event um, uh, last year with uh, Joy Neville and Mags Darcy who were saying, you know, they had to brush up and uh, study up five times more than their male counterparts in order to, you know, prove themselves and ensure that, you know, they uh, they had everything right because of the what they were, they were, felt that they were often walking into um, kind of naysayers and, and people doubting them. Um, so I think that any woman who is in that position is there because she has truly earned those stripes. And um, I think that, yeah, we'll be seeing lots more of that in, in the years to come. I have also noticed that a couple of uh, new journalists, new voices in, in uh, new female voices in women in sports uh, media like Joanna Reardon. And actually today I noticed uh, mm. that Sarah Garrity wrote a piece uh, about the availability of um, decent kit to train in and kind of a sledger wear and all that kind of stuff in the journal, which will stick in the show notes, um, which I actually disagreed with. But it was really nice to be able to have the discussion. So like it's it's becoming more readily available um and the that the voices are i suppose more diverse um and i i get less kind of when we first started fair game anytime we we found a piece written by a woman in sport we'd like send it to each other and like blast it on social media and be like look look at this but now it's everywhere so now it's kind of like it's just more and more normal it's it's less commendable in totally. a way which is great and, and you know I actually think that the, a really kind of significant move is um, Investex move to uh, do the 20 by 20 media awards because that is I suppose for the first time providing a, a platform of recognition um, that you know male uh, the ma- uh, coverage of um, men's sport doesn't have and for the first time to have that for women's sport and for women's sport to be leading the way in something and have that for the first time that it is being rewarded and, and appreciated and, and that kind of that standard is out there I think is a great thing and um, will uh, is a great starter I suppose to encourage more of the same. There's also, we've kind of touched on it already, there's this culture um, about when women kind of lean into something. So when they promote themselves or when they promote the work they're doing, um, you know, like, oh, she's getting too big for her boots or like, oh, who does she think she is? So, you know, and you you notice it an awful lot in the commentary, generally, um, generally not even in the the more general media, but like amongst other female athletes, you know, tearing each other down. And so I think that Investec thing is going to be really interesting because what you're what you're asking women in sports media to do then is lean into it and nominate themselves a bit more. Whereas, yeah, and you're right, the 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 general kind of go-to reaction is like, gosh, look, yeah, you know, it's great. Oh, yeah, did, did I play well? Great, yeah, thanks, yeah. Do you like the podcast? Oh, that's brilliant, glad to hear it. You know, how do you change that? How do you uh, inspire people to start shouting from the rooftops about their accomplishment? Because that's what it needs. Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Um that's something that comes with confidence of not just achieving, but obviously feeling that they're supported along their pathway. Um, some of them, obviously, you know, they they achieve at a high level from a young age, or some of them will take a couple of steps to actually achieve it and they will be well into adulthood as well. Um, but I think the point you made initially about women and, you know, sometimes that begrudgery or that, that bitchiness for the want of a better world, word, that's out there. And it's it's... It's uh, there in every form of society, not just in sport. Uh, yeah, we want you to achieve, but like, don't come near me, like stay down there kind of a thing. And that's an attitude that really grates on me because 
in my career that I've had off the fields, um, some of my biggest supporters um, have been men. And I'd wish I could say that some of my biggest supporters have been women. Um, now, there have been, but there there has been just as many men who I would say are the enlightened few, you know, tongue in cheek. But I do think that women have to take responsibility and that attitude of, you know, kind of like, who does she think she is? Oh, would you look at Joanne? God, you know, she's getting too big for a boots. Where she come out of like, you know, where'd she get that from? That kind of attitude is something that frustrates me. And again, it goes back to each individual reflecting themselves. Is that me? Um, and if it is you, you know, either say nothing or actually show your support and do something. Um, but I, I think the important piece as an athlete and as an athlete that has maybe progressed through her career, and it does make a difference if you have an athlete who have stayed at a club career or have become an elite athlete, that once you finish, uh, that you look back and obviously if you had positive experience, that you're willing to give back and give people the benefit of your experiences so they can learn, so they won't make the mistakes that you made. Um, so, you know, we're not going to totally eradicate that. That's in all of society. But, you know, I would hope that, you know, women will kind of reflect more um, about what they actually can do to help because it's kind of, you know, what's that saying? Uh, you, it's not about what you get in life, it's what you give. And I'm a firm believer of what you, what you give, you get back tenfold in other ways, you know. Yeah, I think that's actually, you know, ties into another thing that 20 by 20 might initially seen as, well, you know, it's doing it to get more girls playing sport. And that is one of the, the aims and, and that's great and it's really important. But actually getting more female sport out there is giving a nation of sport lovers more sport to enjoy more athletes to follow and be fans of and you know as a society you know for male male and female if you've got your more of your population healthy and active and and involved that's a better and happier place for everybody to live in and um, so it it is it you know partly one of the aims is is to get to get more girls and women playing but also it's a much more progressive society in terms of what it's showing younger generations. It's more balanced. It's it's it, in terms of gender and equality and things like that. And um, it's it's a happier place to live. Yeah, and one of the things that we've noticed in recent years is governing bodies are getting more and more response to their plans to develop the women's side of their games. Can you talk to us a little bit about the work you've been doing with the governing bodies and you know what kind of response are you getting from them? Yeah, I think it's 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 important to note the distinction in terms of what the Federation of Irish Sport do and obviously what Sport Ireland have been doing. Sport Ireland um, are a state agency for the supporting national and governing bodies of sport um, in their work um, and in the promotion of the work and growing their numbers. The Federation of Irish Sport, essentially what we would do is we are an advocacy body, a representation body who work with our members um, and represents um, and advocate on their behalf. And obviously women and girls in sport um, is a, a, a part of our strategy that we want to advocate for because they're underrepresented. So my understanding of what the national governing bodies of sport have done is that um, they have looked at their sport, they have looked at their membership, they have looked at underrepresentation in their membership, not just of women and girls in sport, but also of people with disabilities in sport, uh, ethnic minorities in sport, as to how they can actually increase their numbers. So a campaign like this really does help uh, the NGBs. We have about 75 national governing bodies who are members of us and some of them have um, different types of income and resources and they would have a high uh, high income and some of them would be totally volunteer-led organisations. So the assets and the videos and the content that Along Came Us By There and the 20 by 20 campaign are creating 
are assets that they wouldn't have had the resources financially uh, to create. So they're going to be able to utilise those logos, those assets, those videos, that content to bring their sport to new audiences and to their own members and to generate a kind of an interest and enthusiasm in their particular sport. So what we're what we've done with this campaign is we've actually had a unified approach uh, to the promotion and the visibility of women and girls in sport. I think that's really important because what you've got is you've got different NGBs and local sports partnerships go in behind one campaign. So to give an example, we have the Camogie Association are involved um, in this in this campaign. So are Pitch and Put, two do- different audiences, two different t- types of membership, but they're all involved in this campaign. So that adds a bit of strength and I'm a firm believer in strength and unity. And I think, you know, we will see really strong outcomes uh, from this and then obviously the 20 by 20 campaign sits there in terms of the visibility but Sport Ireland in, in, in the in, it, will, it will in the next couple of months be outlining their women in sport strategy and their, their funding that they have for women and girls in sport and how they feel that women and girls uh, can be actively become involved in sport through all those national governing bodies so it's great we feel that this 20 by 20 campaign is going to complement um, the work of the NGBs and it's already work that they had planned for but this is just um, an aspect of their work that's now being made available to them, mm. literally free of charge. Yeah. 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 And that, I suppose, leads me on to the next question. You know, we've spoke about visibility and participation as being highly important. But in my opinion, opportunity is key. And, you know, there needs to be an increase in women at all levels, not just playing or competing, but also opportunities to manage, to coach, to sit on boards, you only need to look at the likes of Susan Whelan, who is the chief executive over in Leicester City Football Club, who comes from Dublin. And then you've got the women working with the WGPA. How do we encourage governing bodies to view that diversity as a strength? Um, I think that the national governing bodies, they do see that diversity as a strength. But I think, again, it goes back to the point I made earlier about the the formal, formalised sport in Ireland in terms for women is in its infancy. So as a consequence of that, women in those roles possibly only emerging now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they need to be obviously shown a pathway and there are some people who have already been demonstrating that we've got uh, female CEOs in, in canoeing, uh, obviously swim with Sarah Keane, uh, Paralympics with Mary Malone, Maya Aston is the new CEO of Canoe, They're, Michelle Carpenter is the new CEO of, of, of Rowing Ireland. So there is, in terms of actually people in high level positions in Ireland, um, you know, they're, they're, those those people are there. I think, you know, I would be a strong believer in if women are in administrative roles or in coaching roles or in refereeing roles, it's number one, it's something that um, they've identified as something that they want to do themselves and that they're supported to do that and they're given the confidence to do that. Um, I have gone on record before, says that we're very good at talent IDing our players but not very good at talent IDing our coaches or our administrators or referees. I think we're getting better at it. I'm talking about females here. I think we're getting better at it. I think there's huge opportunities on that. But I think to have female coaches, female referees and administrators, a lot of the time they're coming from the sports. If you give them a positive experience while they're a participant, they're more than likely to get back to the sport thereafter. The final thing, a point I'll make is when I was working with the Camogie Association, one of the points of research we found was that in, when it came to coaching, confidence was a big issue. 
So it's actually about trying to get them to go beyond the foundation level coaching qualification and to mm. actually ensure that they go up the levels of level one, level two and so on. Um, so I think that's really, really important. I think the national governing bodies um, have really good plans, not just around the actual playing, but the coaching, um, the refereeing as well. And obviously administration um, is key. And you know, just as a side, as a big Man United supporter, Clit Roach is also the chief operating yeah. officer of Man United. So just to say that. <laughs> Shoe in there, name dropping. <laughs> and I think, you know, uh, Kate Palmer, um, CEO of Sport Australia, I, that's, I think that's so, you know, she's in a brilliant position. I think she's doing amazing things. And really interesting point she made um, a few days ago was, uh, you know, this whole thing about nomenclature and, 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 and our language and, and the naming of things, um, you know, and, and how she's instilling over there that it's, there's no such thing as women's sport. Um, you're not a women cricketer. Um, you know, you're a cricketer. And, you know, I think that's a huge thing as part of, you know, that, you know, I'd feel very passionately that uh, hopefully 20 by 20 can help to bring about, you know, you don't have Arsenal gentlemen, you know, that even ladies in the title of things is, I was talking to Mick Bowen and he was saying they just scrap it off, you know, the, they're, they're the Dublin football team. Um, is it controversial? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you I just know, put it out there. <laughs> even even things like um, the Six Nations and then the Women's Six Nations. You know, there is a in golf you have the lady captain, and a, you know it, it's it's you are designating by giving the, the male players or team or whatever the default. You're designating the female to to a second class kind of uh, standing. So I think that's something that is really important to look at, mm-hmm. um, because it's giving a signal as well to to younger generations um, that the the w- women's is of less importance. So yeah, and I think I mean a, an example of that in just recent weeks, the ILGU and the GUI have you know come together to cre- are going to be creating a new golf. Uh, organization for Ireland, which is which is phenomenal, and it it actually could be really um, leading the way in, in terms of that that type of of language use. Yeah, Sarah, we recently both attended the sports for business event, and that was where Anya Tucker, the captain from Trinity uh, Women's Football oh, very Team, good, yeah, uh, spoke about how she had a battle to remove the term "ladies" from the the football team's name. Why is that still happening in two thousand nineteen? Why is it a battle? Yeah, Anja's been brilliant, actually. And I know, you know, in terms of Trinity Sport generally and Michelle Tanner, they were all very much behind her. But yeah. it's, it, do you know what? I could talk all day all day on this. Um, I I believe, and, and look, everyone will have a different opinion on this. Maybe, you know, because, you know, if you look at the Open, the British Open, who, you know, who came there first, so then do they get to claim it? But I do think there is a responsibility um, to younger generations coming up. I mean, if you look at the FAI, they have the, the men's national team and the women's national team. And that's, you know, pretty simple and straightforward and, and makes a lot of sense to mm-hmm. me. Um, and I think if you were thinking of calling um, men's team gentlemen, I, I, I personally think the day for that is 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 just gone past. Um, and, uh, you know, there's lots more. I actually think Australia is fascinating. Uh, you know, there was a, a piece out yesterday on cricket, tennis, um, football federation, um, rugby league, swim, golf, all joining up to to now look at the equal pay and things like that and, and pay, paving a pathway for that. Mm. Um, and I think these are all things in the future and, and you take things step by step. But our our use of, of language, I think, is, is an important one. Yeah. yeah, I think so as well. But I also think you can't underestimate tradition and legacy. Um, I think these are sensitive topics and discussion is needed. Um, I think for some organisations, they would see that 
the lady or the woman's or the female in their title as a source of their identity as well. So it's actually about being sensitive to that and having have our conversations. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen automatically. Um, but I was reading there recently, um, Motherwell uh, soccer club, you know, football club in, in, in Scotland, they've just taken that out. It's just they're just referred to themselves now as, as Motherwell. Um, and you know that's that's Chelsea just one, are the same, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. That, that's just one instance that I was aware of. But I think you know, I, I think you just kind of a clean sweep. I think you need to understand the different intricacies of it, and because of that legacy and the traditional piece that's there, probably for some sports, and because some sports see it as an entity as well. One of the things I really enjoy doing on Twitter, if I'm feeling like an argument, is um, when you hear men say. Oh, I'm not into uh, watching women's football. So you then, you know, my response to that is then like, oh, you're just a fan of men's sport, are you? You just really enjoy men's football. And, you know, the fragile male ego goes bonkers. But you've <laughs> um, you've really, you touched on it earlier, Mary, when you say that some of, you know, your biggest champions in life have been, have been men. And there's often this uh, mantra repeated that in order to promote more attendance at women's sports games, we need more women to support women in sport. Um, and I'm not sure I buy that. You know, we saw the, the figures from Liberty, Liberty Insurance kind of back that up and they found that men are more likely to watch uh, or attend a women in sport event. They have the figures that 43% of Irish men um, say they've attended or watched a major women's sport event in the last 12 months rather than 30% of women. Now, I know the, the you know, one aspect of that is to bring women along. Um, but what is the role of men? What is the role of men in supporting the, the 20 by 20 agenda? I think it's huge. I think it can't be underestimated. And like, you know, we kind of joke to ourselves that it's not some kind of burn the bra initiative. And, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's it, it is so important. And actually, every man that we've spoken to about it, you know, is generally fully behind it. I mean, there are so many dads of daughters and brothers of sisters and um, husbands of wives and things like that that see this and that want mm-hmm. um, to have a, a, a more balanced society for their daughters growing up. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think it's it's really important to have um, men's support on it. Yeah, and I think a few years ago, um, if I'm right, I think Sport Ireland Research stated that um, they did some research kind of on, you know, the attendances of, of females at men's games and I think a lot of it was when they were younger their dad would have brought them to men's events so I think we need to encourage men to bring their daughters to female events as well as, a, yeah, it's kind as of well a, as the moms it, yeah it's a family thing it's not just oh we go to male events you go to female events it's about actually a family you know family day in terms of the family sports family experiences as well so uh, I think there's a huge opportunity um, loads of parents that. actually have said to me you know uh, in a way, thank you for bringing my attention to this. You know, I've got three sons and a daughter and I was just going to let her away with it. You know, I wasn't going to push her in the same way because there is this, again, this ingrained thing that the boys will need it socially and, you know, whatever. And and, and actually, it's like you, you check yourself and you go, no, I don't. And, and the same with, um, you know, bringing the family to, to see women's events. It, it, again, as Mary says, creating a new norm and it, it just becomes part of what you what you follow and what you do. Yeah, it's, I agree. It definitely has a start from the home. Um, I my dad was kind of my champion, and you know, I came through um a school where I probably wasn't even the most talented by a long shot. There was five or six girls, you know, f- ahead of me that I would have probably thought would have went on to play professional soccer, um, but they just didn't have the the home support that that I had, and it was my dad who first brought me to Talga Park, and I'm lucky. My uncle 
is neighbours with Emma Byrne. So my dad no brought way. me to, to to see my uncle and he was like, go in and knock at her house and, and see if she there, you know. Right. Um, so it is very important that it starts at home, you know, and that that kind of support comes from the house and, and, and it's as equal as can be. Absolutely. And I think even, you know, it's... It, it's like in business. I think the girls need a different type of maybe support or encouragement sometimes. I mean, some are just natural born stars. and But for the ones that aren't maybe natural in, in you know, elite future stars, I think that they might need a little bit more. And certainly I'm noticing this, you know, with my own children, but and, and uh, friends as well, anecdotally, um, that there's a thing of no, I'm just going to give up, or or that initial um, not not liking of conflict and and confrontation and things like that. But we've noticed that having that different attitude has had a massive impact and 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 really helped and kind of get, you see get through those first barriers. Some teams, some governing bodies have made it easier uh, to support uh, or to attend a women's match. Uh, and a men's match at the same time. They're doing these double headers now. Um, so most notably the the Dublin ladies and the Dublin men's teams uh, getting their days out in Croke Park, which is deadly. Um, and then you have others like Irish rugby who are not inviting the women to the Aviva and they're having their games on a on a separate night. Um, and I, I want to take your temperature and get your opinion on the advent of these double headers because um, we were at the Aviva, or not the Aviva, sorry, we were at Donnybrook and um, the atmosphere there was just buzzing. And it was a record attendance for a standalone fixture in the home of Irish women at five o'clock on a Friday night. So would you give that up? Would you sacrifice that for a day out in the Aviva? We kind of differ on this as well, don't we, Jonah? Like, I wouldn't, no. No. You you wouldn't give it no. up? Like you you wouldn't want to play in... Um, I think it's important that women and and men obviously have equal opportunities, but I've played in the Aviva um, and it's probably been 10% full and you've got this massive stadium, a big echo. Um, when you're out on a pitch, a pitch is a pitch. Um, I, You know, we spoke to Emer Scali last week and I mean, it's a bit different, I suppose, for the, the women playing the All-Ireland final day when you've got, what, 46, 50,000 people. Mm. Um and I think as well, it's in soccer, it's a little bit difficult because the one thing I can't understand is they allow the, the league final play there, but actually the senior women's soccer team don't play there. So for me, that's a bit, I don't know if I agree with that, you know. Yeah, yeah I think you need to look at it from, from, from two angles. Obviously, from a player point of view, you want to play in the best stadium because obviously the Aviva is a national stadium and Gaelic Games, Crow Park is a national stadium. So as a player, you want to play there. But also as a player, you want to feel like there's somebody watching you mm-hmm. um, and it's grand for finals and stuff but for other games it's kind of like you need a, an intimate venue that'll actually create that atmosphere because you have to understand some of the people coming to these sporting events especially if they're representative and they're elite athletes they could be their first time coming and you need them to have a good experience and whether we like it or not in you know, all sports be it male or female you have a follower and you have a supporter. A supporter will go to Ballygo backward in the middle mm-hmm. of January and watch a match. A follower will go to the big games. So you need to kind of cater for those as well. Um, I think from a national governing body perspective, and I think, you know, the RFU must be congratulated on getting that record crowd and the players themselves and the sport and, getting, and the sport and the clubs and the grassroots for supporting their, their female athletes and getting that, that record crowd. That's really important. But I think you're growing the sport, you're growing that... That um, that want and that need and that desire to be there in the hope that that'll outstrip the capacity and time. 
but I think it, 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 there's a road to it and I don't think you should jump that now uh, that probably people screaming saying oh, I want to play in the Aviva and I want to play in Crow Park and yes of course you do but I think we need to do we need to look at, at a bigger bigger picture um, um, so I, that's, that's be my, my reading of it yeah, I have to say the whole 20 by 20 team were there in the front row that Friday night in Donnybrook and the atmosphere belied the, the result on the screen, you know. Um, and there's different, again, going back to that language thing, you know, calling them curtain raisers. I don't think any, you know, senior women's team wants to be known as just a curtain raiser for the main event. Um, but having said that, I mean, there's been huge success with those double headers and it brings a lot. And, you know, interestingly, um for the Barbarians and the Red Roses um, for uh, in June, you know, that's a, a huge thing at Twickenham to have them playing before the men's game. That's seen as, you know, massive progress. And so uh, it depends what way you look at it. Yeah, and I think as well, in terms of the double headers, in terms of Gaelic games, look, the opportunity is there into county and that, that ability. And I think you need to look at why are we having double headers? We're having double headers for the most part is to give the opportunity for the, for the game to be exposed to different audiences because although they might be in the Gaelic Games family they might never really go and watch their female uh, inter-county team so that's that's really key and it gives people you know to actually say hey technically this team can really play football technically you know she's brilliant she's left and right footed and I think you know I want them to get that eureka moment when they're sitting there you know I want fellas kind of go oh and you know I think that's happening um, and I think the more than we can get, the better. Um, I think that that promotion is important. Super. So I suppose just to move on a bit to uh, some of the, the supporters um, of women's sport, you know, we've seen companies like AIG champion equality in sport with their support of the Dublin men and women footballers, her- hurling and camogie teams, and also both all black teams. You know, I suppose um, what I really wanted to ask was should governing bodies and sporting bodies um, kind of, you know, only really encourage partnership with companies that are encouraging that equality? You know, if if, if a company approaches a, a, a sport and says, well, we actually we want, we want to just sponsor the men. Is that a Do good you know, thing? Shauna, I think, you know, less about even the, what the national governing body says, but I think mm. in terms of the brands, I think it will be very hard, you know, if you're starting even from now uh, for a brand to support only the men's team and not the women's. Yeah. I think in terms of how it will be viewed, it's, it would be a tough one to call for, for, for any brand and, and what that message sends out. So... I actually think it will because of how attitudes are shifting and, and culturally we're changing. I think that will be a thing of the past anyway. Should we call them out if we do see it? Yeah, I don't know. I think so. But I say the more controversial things. I don't know, Mary, in terms of the, the NGVs. Maybe not. I mean, maybe there is a, a, a you know, a, a responsibility to encourage um, that equal support. But I, I think it'll probably happen anyway. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously you, you would hope that it would Um but again, for majority of NGBs, they might have long-standing relation, relationships or, in, or engagements with sponsors, number one. Number two, this is probably something that maybe some of the sponsors wouldn't be adverse to, um, to give them their, their due credit. But it's about having those conversations. And you have to look at each individual NGB because some individual NGBs would have an international aspect to the game. Some of them might have a national aspect to their game. Some of them might, for strategic reasons, have different sponsors to create more revenue. Um, you have to look at it from the sponsor's point of view. Why do they sponsor sport? And uh, Why do they sponsor grassroots sport? What are they trying to get back out of it? Obviously, it's trying to get into that sense of 
that consumerism sit in a certain part of consumerism in Ireland. So there's loads of different parts to it. You know, in my own personal opinion, would I like it to happen? Absolutely. But I do understand in the real world there is complexities of it. But I do think that, you know, that type of a question needs to be asked more often. One of the favourite things we saw from uh, 2018 in terms of the sponsorship is the sponsorship of Softco and the uh, women's hockey team. And they got in on the ground there. You know, they, uh, for relatively low amount of money um, and then surprisingly, or, you know, maybe not if you're on the team, I don't know, they landed up in the quarterfinals and the semifinals um, and you couldn't look sideways in 2018 but you saw Softco everywhere and it was just an absolute dream of a story you know um, but looking back on kind of the last four years how important have the support of brands like Little, like AIG like Liberty Insurance um, been to progressing the standard and the quality of the game? I think really important. I mean, for 20 by 20 alone, this has been made entirely possible by five sponsors and they've each contributed equally. um, AIG, Investec, KPMG, Lidl and three. And they are all genuinely invested for the right reasons to want to shift the dial on women's sport in Ireland. Um, And I don't know if that would have been there a few years ago, you know, um, to see that. And I think, you know, a huge commendation to Lidl in terms of what they've done. And and I think a lot of them, you know, that's for for a lot of brands in Ireland, they're looking to... to follow that that genuine and serious support. I think with AIG as well, I think having, you know, it's rare to find a brand that you can find the the men's and women's teams in the same photograph or, mm-hmm. or, or together or put up, you know, with equal branding opportunities and things like that. Um, and um, with with Investec, KPMG and uh, Three as well, they're, they're in there for the right reasons. I think it's key uh, for women's sport is to, you know, is, is that there is that interest there. Um, it's It's been massive for this initiative and I think going forward yeah, I, it's the brand thing is is vital. I mean, there's only so much government funding and things like that. So I think, and you know, in in terms of even sponsorship opportunities for um, female properties only. There is, you know, when you, when you speak to brands that have done it just for the, for the female team or or side or whatever it is there is a, a great return on that. You don't get the same um, maybe numbers in terms of exposure, but the engagements tend to be a lot more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's been lots of studies and reports done on that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it'll continue. Yeah, I think, I mean, any of those sponsors that, that, that Sarah has mentioned that anybody who's involved in female sport will say that they're getting a strong return on their investment. But for female sports to excel in terms of their public profile, they need these type of brands to back them. Phase two is looking at the barriers to entry for women in sport in terms of participation, women in the media and serious investment. How are we going to do this? Yeah, phase two actually is is looking at so phase one was about raising awareness um yeah. in terms of this is this is where we are as a society, these are our cultural perceptions. What do you feel? Have people mm-hmm. argue it one way or another, or even recognise their own kind of ingrained sub- subliminal views on uh, you know around girls and boys or men and women when it comes to sport? Um, phase two of this actually is 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 the second chapter. So twenty by twenty is divided um, into five different chapters as it as it goes on, and you know two years is a long time to run with an initiative, but a really short time to get to where we want to go. So actually, phase two is is uh, launching in April, and it's looking at role models and the importance of them. Um, um, and um, then beyond that, we'll be looking at um, the, you know, it's actually a line we lifted from Nike. It's not a boy thing or a girl thing. It's a skills thing um, and and the importance of participation. And then looking, obviously, we'll be in at Tokyo and, and looking to women in sport in the future and, and where we're launching off to after that. Mm-hmm.
It's exciting times. <laughs> so this International Women's Day, 20 by 20, are asking people to show your stripes, um, to commit to doing something publicly online during the conversation, um, to... Uh, progress the aims of the 20 by 20 campaign get more women involved in sport at all levels uh, across uh, all levels of participation um, here in Fair Game we of course have committed to sharing our stripes um, aside from making my beloved Fair Game podcast I commit to going to at least one women in sport event per month that is how I'm going to show my stripes I have a terrible track record Shauna what are you going to uh, commit to doing? Well, I commit to continuing to make this deadly podcast and I also commit to creating some top secret projects we have in the works and hopefully we'll launch them later in 2019. That's going to be really exciting. Uh, Mary and Sarah, if people at home uh, are listening in and want to get involved in the 20 by 20 campaign, give us both a couple of things that people listening at home can do. Absolutely, be delighted to. So today, uh, 20 by 20 has launched the push for Show Your Stripes. And um, what's really important with this is for that everyone in Irish society, no matter if you're a teacher, if you're a sports coach, if you're a parent, if you're just a, a fan, um, if you're a school or whatever level you are or where, whatever area you're in, that you can show your stripes for women's sport and um, pledge one action, I suppose, to help um, support and grow in, in whatever area you're in. So, you know, if you're a teacher, it can be to ensure that girls have equal opportunities when it comes to sport. If you're a, a, a club, it can ensure greater parity between the, the male and female athletes. If you're a, a, a mother or a father, it can be bring the family to three women's games over the course of the year or to help your daughter to find that sport that she loves. If it's not team sport, then it could be something more more niche, but to, to, to encourage and support till she finds that. If you're a journalist, it could be to pledge to um, cover more more uh, female athletes or, or women's competitions. Um, and overall, if you're a sports fan, it's just, you know, you might pledge to go see, see or watch one game per month. Uh, it can be genuinely anything, but I think what's really important is that this, you know, 20 by 20 is, is you know, Mary and I, you can tell from sitting here, we're massively passionate about this. We, there isn't an advertising budget. We don't have the same spend as something like, you know, this girl can or, or anything like that. But by everybody pledging one small action in their area, wherever they are, we will genuinely make a great, great shift um, for mm. girls and women's sport. Yeah, and I think from a national governing body of sport point of view, today we also would be having the national governing bodies who've signed up to the campaign announcing what their pledge, pledge is for the next 15 to 16 months about the campaign, what they're actually going to do under the 20 by 20 banner. Um, just separate to that, obviously totally concur with what Sarah has said. I would say to people that if you're a big soccer fan, League of Ireland fan, if you're a Cork City fan, the male team, that you would actually do a bit of research on the Cork City uh, women's team and have a look at them and have, go to a few of their games as well. I think that's those simple things, you know what I mean? It's uh, about, you know, if they're, they're a club, they're a t club in its totality. Like, just don't look at the one the one gender look at, at both you know I think that type of work you know um, I have a brother he's two daughters he said to me that um, he's going to bring his daughters to 20% more Cockley's football and camogie matches simple um, th that type of um, opportunity is out there for us all you know and we've had brilliant um, pledges today and, and you know elite athletes pledging master classes and things like that um, so I think just for whoever you are to, to, to if you believe in, and I suppose to stand up and show a mark of support for women's sport to just use the hashtag show your stripes um, and, and make a pledge Big thanks to Sarah and Mary for taking time out of their busy schedules 
to join us in Fair Game HQ, you can follow the campaign at 20x20 underscore IE on Twitter and check out the hashtag 20x20 and hashtag can't see, can't be. While you're on Twitter, follow us too at Fair Gamecast. There's so much live action involving Irish sportswomen to look forward to in the coming months. So that's where we'll provide you with all of the necessary information to keep you in the loop and hopefully get you out on the sidelines. Finally, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're listening to us on, be it iTunes, Android, Stitcher or Spotify. That way you'll get the next one delivered directly to you. That's all for this episode and we'll chat to you again in two weeks' time. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Head to Court Branch Clearance Center for up to 70% off new retail prices. Stock is updated regularly, so you never know what kind of treasures you'll find. We offer a wide variety of stylish furniture for any budget, and every piece is court certified, so you can let your personality show in every room. And now through April 3rd is our tax refund sale. Mention refund 25 and take 25% off living room and dining room sets. Use your refund and refresh your home with stylish finds from Court Furniture Clearance Center. Go to courtclearancefurniture.com today.